Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Capital Hard Talk on Wellington Access Radio, 7.83am. I'm here with my co-host, Jack Comer-Hudson, and our in-studio guest for the day, Taryn Malloy. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, welcome. We're on Wellington Access Radio, 7.83am. You can also tune in online at www.wellingtonaccessradio.org.nz. Uh, today we'll be talking a little bit about the upcoming Brexit with Taryn on TN Brexit, also some recent developments uh, within the UK that are quite shocking to a lot of people, as well as we're talking a little bit about the recent shootings in Orlando and uh, the Second Amendment, as, uh, as well as some other miscellaneous stuff. And so uh, welcome everybody, sit back and enjoy the hour. Um, and so firstly we'll go to tea and Brexit with Taryn. And so uh, just a few hours now really until the uh, UK leaving uh, the EU referendum is due to start, isn't that right Taryn? No, actually I'm sorry to say this. Um, the vote's being held on the 23rd, so a week from now we'll be getting the results. Although More I believe a few hours. I believe that some ballots no, I, I will read, be mailed I read, out I read soon. 72 hours <laughs> on, on a news article. 720 hours. <laughs> Not many at all. So um, the bigger news we've had in Britain, of course, has been the quite shocking and tragic um, attack and actual killing of Joe Cox, the 41-year-old Labour MP for the West Yorkshire constituency of... Um you can't remember the name. It was some, somewhere in the... It, it's, it's in West Yorkshire. Here we go. She was the Labour MP for Batley and Spen in West Yorkshire, which mm. is surrounding the market town of Burstall at... Um, Thursday afternoon, local time, after leaving the local town library, she was um, accosted, stabbed, and uh, killed by an assailant with a homemade pipe gun. Um, some witnesses, this is yet to be fully confirmed, said the assailant had been yelling, Britain first, before the attack. And so, so what does that phrase exactly mean in the context of England right now? Well, Britain first is the name, first of all, given to a um, far-right uh, neo-Nazi political group that broke off from the um, British National Party in the 1990s. Um, it's been far on the uh, alienated spectrum of British politics. It's been considered a group tied to hate speech, to anti-immigrant feelings, and to uh, British white nationalism. And so uh, uh, both sides of the aisle in British Parliament have obviously condemned this action, even those who are pro-leaving... Um, leaving the EU, uh, something that is adamantly supported by a lot of these far-right groups. Um, and so, do we know uh, this far, Taryn, what the potential motives might have been for this attack? Well, at the moment, the actual motives of the assailant, Thomas Mayer, who was actually charged with murder this morning, remain up for speculation, although the cries of Britain first are the first indication that it appears to be politically motivated. A civil rights group in the United States, the Southern Poverty Law Center, alleged that Thomas Mayer had been a um, subscriber to books by the National Alliance, an American neo-Nazi organization, while the Guardian newspaper alleged that various amounts of neo-Nazi paraphernalia were found in the attacker's house, and furthermore that he'd been subscriber to uh, SA National, a pro-apartheid South African newsletter. So definite links to far-right political views among the attacker, and there's been a lot of speculation lately that the attack might have actually been motivated by the upcoming referendum. Mm. The initial result has been an end to politics on both sides. Both the Remain and Leave campaign have suspended their campaigning in the next couple of days, and the Conservatives, the Liberal Democrats, and UKIP have all said out of respect and out of mourning that they will not be contesting 
the by-election and the now vacant seat oh. that Joe Cox oh. has vacated. So what parties were those? That was the Conservatives, Liberal Democrats, and UKIP. And oh, we believe we're mm. also going to be hearing from the Green Party soon that this is not going to be a political event. It's going to be uh, a simple, somber response to a very tragic event. So, so it looks like Labour will take that seat then. Yes. Uh, with none of the major So rivals. just to be clear, Jo Cox, where did she stand politically? Um, was she quite active in the... Uh, to stay in the EU campaign? Uh, she was very committed to a lot of causes. She was only a first-term MP, having come into Parliament last year in the 2015 general election. Um, in her maiden speech to the House of Commons, which has been viewed a lot um, recently in light of the um, happenings, she spoke about the British public and in favour of multiculturalism, saying there's so much more that unites us than divides us. She's been very... Uh, had been very involved in international issues. She had previously worked for a long time at Oxfam before entering Parliament, and as an MP, she was co-chair of the all-party parliamentary group Friends of Syria, committed to uh, responding to the refugee crisis and to intervention in Syria. So it's looking like there's a lot of reasons for this person potentially to be motivated to take such a horrible action. Um, and to look now wider, because uh, obviously we haven't talked about the Brexit in a while and many of our viewers uh, probably haven't uh, heard much about it. Can you give us just a quick overview of exactly what, what a Brexit is? Before we go to that, um, just since Tam brought up Joe Cox's maiden speech, uh, we have a highlight, which is just one minute and 30 seconds of Joe Cox speaking to the Commons for the first time last year. Lay claim, I'm sure, to their constituencies being constituencies of two halves or numerous parochial parts. I am another in that respect, and Batley and Spen is very much that kind of constituency, and it's a joy to represent such a diverse community. Batley and Spen is a gathering of typically independent, no-nonsense, proud Yorkshire towns and villages. Our communities have been deeply enhanced by immigration, be it Irish Catholics across the constituency or Muslims from Indian Gujarat or Pakistan, principally from Kashmir. And whilst we celebrate our diversity, the thing that surprises me time and time again as I travel around the constituency is that we are far more united and have far more in common than that which divides us. My constituency is also home to Fox's Biscuits and Lion Confectionery. <laughs> so I'm sure you will not think it an indulgence, Mr Speaker, if I describe Batley and Spen as a constituency with an industrial heart wrapped in a very rich and pleasant Yorkshire landscape, geographical, historical and cultural. The spirit of non-conformity is as prevalent now in my part of West Yorkshire as it was in the time of my two immediate predecessors, Mike Wood and Elizabeth Peacock. They were both known for their own brand of independent, non-conformist service, albeit in very different ways. And I intend to maintain that established tradition in my own unique style. All right, and that was uh, the maiden speech of Joe Cox uh, for the House of Commons. Uh, obviously an incredible tragedy. Uh, it's always sad uh, when anyone gets killed, but of course this has much wider ripples, uh, of course, into politics. Uh, attacking uh, MP are uh, going about addressing the constituents, obviously incredibly sad. So um, a final question on this. Do you think, Taryn, that this will have any effect on the referendum? Because obviously uh, most of the polling is too close to call, really. Some have it by a few points to each margin. Do you think that something like this will have any effect on the referendum? 
Well, the first immediate effect, of course, is the suspension of both campaigns. As we've seen, the Prime Minister cancelled his planned rally in Gibraltar as a result. The Chancellor had to give up his uh, traditional Mansion House speech. The Governor of the Bank of England cancelled his event. So the political scene is essentially on hold at the moment. And the Commons will have a special uh, recollection on Monday to meet and to grieve Joe Cox's loss. It's worth remembering that this is certainly not a regular event in any manner of form. The last time an MP in the United Kingdom had been killed was in 1990, and that was to do with Irish republicanism. So it's safe to say that the British public and Westminster definitely felt that this kind of event was certainly something of the past until Thursday afternoon. Long term, I think what we're going to see is a lot of soul searching on both sides to look at the actual repercussions of running a very toxic and very vitriolic campaign, as many have alleged the EU referendum has become. Um, so, for example, what we've seen is a lot of uh, anger on both sides. The former Prime Minister, Sir John Major, calling people from within his own party court jesters, saying that the NHS would be as safe with people in his party as a pet hamster would be with a hungry python. We've seen um, a lot of racial rhetoric. Um, in the days just before Joe Cox's attack, Nigel Farage of the United Kingdom Independence Party, or UKIP, unveiled an extremely controversial new billboard, which depicted a long row of Middle Eastern refugees on a field simply captioned, Breaking Point. And it's this kind of rhetoric, this kind of inflammatory statements that we're certainly going to hopefully see an end to in um, light of what's happened, in light of concerns for MPs' safety. The traditionally conservative British news magazine, The Spectator, put it best in their opinion piece when they said, when you continually tell the country that they're at a breaking point, you don't get to act surprised when people break. And that's unfortunately what we think we might have seen this week. And so, in, in layman's terms for our viewers and for everybody, just quickly, what is the, the Brexit all about? So the European Union is obviously... Uh, the union of European nations, obviously, uh, which share open borders and free trade with each other. Um, and so what is Britain leaving? Why is it important and why are they considering leaving? Well, Britain's been a member of the European Union since it joined in 1993. Then it was called the European Economic Community. And the biggest argument put forward by people in favour of leaving has generally been an idea that they need to get back a form of national sovereignty, that uh, the European governments in Brussels and institutions like the European Court of Human Rights and the European Council simply aren't accountable to general publics. And there's been a lot of dissatisfaction among English working class seeing that... Um, an influx of immigration within Europe has led to a downturn in manufacturing jobs and this sort of level of economic nationalism has certainly influenced quite a few arguments um, in favour of leaving. But of course, people on the side of Remain have pointed to a variety of arguments such as the peace it's brought to Europe, such as mm -hmm. economic benefits, such as the merits of cooperation and have criticised the other camp for possibly racially charged rhetoric. All right. Uh, you got something for us, Bennett? I do. It's in, I'm in the middle of eating a brownie. That's quite bad timing. But the reason I'm eating a brownie is because I was out following the campaign today of the Labour Party, and I will be following the Greens as they launch next week. Um, but it's underway, people. Uh, the Labour Party put up hundreds of billboards around the city today in the Southern Ward, in the Lambton Ward, and in the Eastern Ward. They're not running a candidate in Onzo Western. I know both for Jack and Taryn vote in the Onslow Western Ward and they'd know there was there'll be no chance of a Labour candidate yep. winning there or a Greens candidate winning there. Um, 
And we've also seen uh, a lot of other posters, particularly for the Meralty, uh, yep. Nick Liga, Joe Coughlin, Joe have Coughlin, got yep. uh, bubbled all around. And we've seen a few Justin Lister. I have yep. yet to see a, a Celia Way Brown or any no. from our other candidates. No, but um, um, once things get into swing, and Celia um, ran a smaller campaign mm, than most of her and opponents much later last in time. the campaign as well. Um, she has been campaigning inside Wurders. She's door knocking around. Probably not in Island Bay. They're a bit angry at the moment. Yes. <laughs> um, but the, the reason is, is this is significant is the first billboards for actual council candidates are going up. Yeah. So that's Linda McGregor, who ha- we had in the studio a few weeks back. Uh, Brian Dawson, who's a local priest in the Lambda Ward running for the Labour Party. Paul Eagle, a long-sitting councillor in the Southern Ward. And that's actually it. No, Peter Gilbert in the Northern Ward. Um, he's putting some signs we'll up be today as well. expecting other parties as well as independents to yep, be starting yep. to make the moves, and so, of course, we'll keep you covered about that. Absolutely, yeah. So I'll, I'll be at the Greens campaign launch. I think it's on the twenty fifth, and we'll bring you some news from there. Hopefully, some policy. It'll be good to have yes, some excellent. policy debate in this election. Yes, we're moving into the part of uh, the election cycle where we're starting to be seeing some concrete policies laid out. Um, and so moving on to to the US, we've got a few things to cover. We'll discuss a little about the thing that's been on everyone's mind, of course, the Orlando uh, shootings. Um, but first we'll talk a little bit about the US uh, general election. Uh, and so there's been a few updates. Uh, Paul Ryan, who's uh, the current Speaker of the House of the Republican side, is threatening to sue, uh, <laughs> taking legal action against Donald J. Trump, who is the presumptive nominee. Um, he's threatened this legal action, of course, over the controversial ban on Muslims, which Donald J. Trump has proposed. He's uh, condemned this several times when it was originally announced. I think it was back uh, before the first primary has started or just after. That would have been late 2015 after the Paris terror attacks. That would be right. Uh, and he condemned it then and he's continued to condemn it. And now, of course, uh, Donald Trump's continued to push, push this rhetoric saying, well, he was right. Uh, and that this ban is required. And, of course, many mainstream Republicans, as well as, of course, everyone else has come out to condemn that. And so now he's actually threatening legal action uh, against this, claiming that it's, it's unconstitutional. And so we can see a little bit of discourse and uprising within the Republican Party with key members of uh, the party, like the Speaker of the House, who is one of the highest ranking. I think he's currently the he's, highest. He's the highest. He's the, the third highest, in line to the presidency. He is. The highest sitting Republican currently is currently coming out and this of course he joins the ranks of uh, Mitt Romney who was the Republican presidential nominee last election cycle as well as many other high-ranking Republicans who've openly come out and condemn Donald Trump so this is important because mostly uh, with candidates like this this is usually the kind of the time in the primaries and the beginning of the election cycle where parties are unifying behind the candidates we can see on the side of the Democrats uh, important figures like Joe Biden, uh, Barack Obama, of course, Elizabeth Warren have all come out in backing of their nominee and moving mm. over to he, the Democrats. Even Bernie Sanders, even Bernie has, come Sanders. Has, has come out. And though he officially hasn't suspended his campaign, he's now come out and said that he will work with Hillary Clinton to defeat Donald Trump. And so we can see on the Democrats' side of the House, even though it's still a race that is effectively still going uh, it's reaching that point where everybody's uniting around clinton and we've seen almost all of the democrats uh, come out ag- for clinton and not not many coming out actively against if at all um and so we're seeing a big contrast here um <clears throat> so what what is going to happen with the republican party do you think we'll go down a path where it fractures or do you think they're going to regroup well i think 
we'll all have to see what happens in the Republican National Convention. And so I believe that starts on the 20th, uh, 21st of July? Uh, 20th, I believe. I think it's the 20th of July. And so that will run for three, four days, but there's no official end date for it. So it technically could if there's more stuff to discuss, run for weeks. And I believe conventions in the, in the past have run way over time. And so I think that it's most likely at that point that Donald Trump will be the nominee. And so he has the delegates required. And so unless delegates actively come out and uh, circumnavigate the rules around the convention, which could happen, and some delegates have talked about that, then it's likely that he will uh, get the numbers he needs to be the Republican nominee. But what happens really at that point is up for a lot of debate. And it's certainly interesting, too. We've seen um, one of Donald Trump's senior campaign managers, uh, Paul Manafort, claim that this year's Republican National Convention would be, quote, one of the greatest reality TV shows of all mm. time, and promising that Donald Trump would actually wait until the convention before announcing his running mate for the presidency. And we'll discuss that in a second. So really, what's no one's sure what's going to happen. The Republican Party could very well fracture uh, it's mm. obviously too early to tell what's going to happen in the general election but most of the polls are showing over the last just few weeks uh, donald trump lose massive points in head-to-head -head matchup he's lost uh, nine points on average polls by real clear politics mm. um with clinton gaining uh most of those points and uh, she's also dominating in swing states such as florida new <coughs> hampshire california um, and so it's looking good for the Democrats. That being said, of course, uh, you don't want to count your eggs before the hatch, and elections are, are notoriously close. M most of that's going to Clinton, but it's important to note the rise of a third-party candidate. That is right. Yeah, and Gary Johnson. That is uh, running mm. in the Libertarian yeah. Party, and so they're approaching <clears throat> 12%. Yep. Uh, and to put that into context, of course, that's incredibly high for a third party. Um, usually parties like the Greens and Libertarians, who are the other two parties that are mainly running uh usually net around one to two percent of the mm -hmm, votes mm -hmm. maximum and never really receive any seats in congress mm. the most we've ever seen from a third party in the united states was ross perot's independent campaign in 1992 where the candidate won 19 percent of the vote but owing to the american system didn't carry a single state Yes, and that's the Electoral College and the uh, voting system in the United States, which, of course, we'll have in-depth analysis on closer uh, to the election. Um, and so most debates will have a 15% threshold for any candidate sitting in on that debate. And so what it means is 12% this close, uh, all the debates will be happening uh, in October or September. We've got currently scheduled uh, three presidential debates and one vice presidential debate um, and so although it's not looking too good for uh, Dr. Jill Stein who's the um, Green Party that's right uh, candidate but we could be seeing uh, some libertarian yep. uh, involvement in the debates and once once they've reached that point to the point where it's a three-way debate between Clinton Trump and uh, the libertarian candidate, mm -hmm. then really anything could happen because once they've got that platform, uh, then... And it's definitely worth remembering that this election year where both the Democrat and Republican candidates are facing record high levels of unpopularity, there's certainly a lot of dissatisfied voters who might be looking <coughs> for another alternative. And Gary Johnson's already announced his running mate. It's another former governor, I uh, think, of Massachusetts. Right. Bill Weld of Massachusetts, And yes. we've, got a video, we've got a video to play of them on Stephen Colbert. Ticket I have ever interviewed. 
Please welcome the Libertarian Party candidates for president and vice president of these United States, Governor Gary Johnson and Governor William Weld. Governor Gary, if I may call you Governor Please Gary. Do. Thank you. Nice to see you again. I interviewed you three times on the old show. Nice to see you again. Great to be with you. Governor Weld, first time that we've met. Uh, you gentlemen, you were the two-term governor of New Mexico. You were the two-term governor of Massachusetts, both Republicans. Uh, now you are running as libertarians. Uh, explain to the people out there, what's a libertarian and why sh sell people on the libertarian idea? Well, and we were Republican governors in heavily blue states. We were fiscally conservative. Uh, we were socially liberal. The notion that people should be able to make their own choices in their own lives always come down on the side of choice. <laughs> and hey, uh, from a military intervention standpoint, I think the fact that we put troops on the ground, I think the fact that we drop bombs, I think the fact that we throw or we fly drones and kill thousands of innocent people, at the end of the day uh, has, a, con has a, a consequence that's worse, not better. The unintended consequence of making the world less safe. So, so I like to say uh, that uh, I want the government out of your pocketbook and out of your bedroom. And in fact, I told that to the Republican convention in 1992. This year, it seems to me, you, you pay your money and you take your choice. If, with the Democrats, you get the government in your pocketbook. And with the Republicans, it's much worse because you got, you got the government in your bedroom. So that's the choice. So do you think, did, did you leave the Republican Party or did the Republican Party leave you? Like, why, why aren't you Republicans anymore? Uh, I think that the Republican Party has always been about good government, first and foremost. Uh, that it's been about smaller government. And by that, I mean get government out of your lives, more freedom, more personal responsibility. But then there's that social side. You know, a woman's right to choose, marriage equality, legalizing marijuana. Come on, let people make choices in their own lives that only people should be making. Governor, I, 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 I am legally required to ask you the following question. Are you high? Being on this show right now, yes. <laughs> Trump calls you guys fringe candidates. What would you say oh, to that? Oh, totally fringe, totally fringe. Both of us. No, you no, enjoy no. being a fringe candidate. Well, uh, absolutely. In 1999, I was the you know, highest elected official ever in the country to call for the legalization of marijuana. Bill Weld denied the nomination to be uh, ambassador to Mexico in 1997 by, uh, by Jesse Helms because he was pro-gay, because he was pro-woman's right to choose, because he was pro-medical marijuana. So I think by fringe, I think what he's saying is the majority of Americans are fringe, and that's just not the case. Well... You guys are polling. You guys are now polling at 10% in some national polls. If you get to 15%, they got to let you in the debates in the yeah, poll. Yeah, the, the key is being in the polls. And then, um, and, and look, you're having us on the show. Thank you very much. But you start off the show by talking about the fact that there are only two candidates in the race, and that's Trump and Hillary. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for having us on the show, but, you're but you, you're you're all, you've also got this So I'm part of the problem. I'm well, part of the problem. Kind of, sort of, but no. That was Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson with his running mate on The Stephen Colbert Show.
starting to gain some traction uh, in the polls and in media attention. It's going to be a very exciting race. But now we're going to... We'll talk about vice presidents. Vice presidents. So libertarians have already picked their candidate, but... The only thing that everyone's really interested in is who Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton will pick as their mm. vice presidential picks. And so, for uh, to explain exactly what that is, is so the vice president, of course, serves a role in the executive branch of the U.S. government. They do public appearances. They have role in policy. But importantly, if the president were to become incapacitated or killed, then that person becomes the president. Or if the president were to resign, as we saw Gerald Ford taking over for Nixon in the 1970s. So this is, of course, an incredibly important role. But it's a role that's interesting in the sense that it's not uh, elected in the same way as a presidential candidate. So the presidential candidates run the primaries, and we've seen... Uh, such as Carly Fiorina and Ted Cruz, some candidates uh, already appoint their vice presidential nominee before the end of the primary season, but neither Donald Trump nor Hillary Clinton have even given any word to potential candidates. We've had some leaks here and there and some speculation, but neither candidate have come out and said concretely who they're considering. We'll start with Hillary Clinton. So who do we, rec- who do we reckon is on that list? We've heard um, some leaks uh, yes. uh, just in the last uh, wee while. And so we've got a few names on that. So that's right. Uh, two, three days ago, the Wall Street Journal got hold of a leaked vice presidential shortlist for Hillary Clinton, the candidates that she's considering. And I have to admit, it's quite a long shortlist. But to run through the names, we have Elizabeth Warren, the highly popular progressive Democratic senator from Massachusetts. We have Julian Castro, the current Housing and Urban Development Secretary and former mayor of San Antonio in Texas. Tom Perez, the current uh, Work and Pension Secretary, I believe he is. No, Employment Secretary is the title. Um, No previous public office aside from this cabinet posting. Javier Becerra, a Democratic congressman from California. Tim Ryan, a congressman from Ohio. Uh, Eric Garcetti, the current mayor of the city of Los Angeles. Um... Sherrod Brown, a senator from Ohio, and Tim Kaine, a senator from Virginia. So these are the candidates that we believe that Hillary Clinton is to be considering. The notable absence, of course, is Bernie Sanders, which had been mm. talked about quite a lot in the press as a possible vice presidential Though, pick. Um, to be honest, I'm not too surprised, really. I don't think that Sanders or Clinton were really going to pick each other mm. as their vice presidents. Yes. I just think that they're too different, and I think that a lot of... Uh, Clinton and Sanders, particularly Sanders supporters, will probably be disenfranchised uh, by uh, pinning uh, one to the other. I know if Bernie Sanders was the nominee, which he probably won't be, um, he definitely wouldn't be considering Clinton due to the fact that his a lot of his supporters have an, an intense hatred what of, is of Hillary Clinton. S- what is surprising is uh, a lot of people were surprised that Elizabeth Warren didn't endorse Bernie Sanders yes, at all during was, the campaign. Um, very silent, and she only... Quite uh, recently. It was, um, it was a few days yeah. after Hillary Clinton uh, was declared the presumptive nominee, mm. and so uh, mm. I believe it was actually after California... That's right, yes. Uh, ...that she uh, delivered her endorsement. And so, uh, of course, as a member of uh, the Democrat Party, who's incredibly outspoken, has really led the charge against particularly Donald Trump on Twitter and in person of course and so everyone was quite surprised that she was quite silent um, when it came to the Democrat primary but mm. of course oh, and she's also someone it's important to note who's been very critical of Hillary Clinton and the Democratic Party establishment in the past she is a former Republican but well, comes they did to not know. they did not know but comes to the party from a very progressive stance 
she's definitely one of the most progressive voices in the Democratic Party Senate representation. Well, I think also Hillary Clinton's a former Republican. Uh, Donald Trump's a former Democrat. So <laughs> people, people, people change around. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And so, Taryn, if you had to guess who you're going to be. Um, my personal considerations, I'd narrow it down to three people. I'd say Elizabeth Warren is quite a likely candidate, and she brings a lot to the table as a potential vice presidential nominee. She's considered more of an anti-politician, which balances out Clinton's very insider reputation. A two-woman ticket would certainly energize the electorate. It's something we've never seen before Mm. in American politics. Mm. And her outspoken progressive policies would definitely appeal to a lot of otherwise dissatisfied Bernie Sanders voters. Um, The other two possibilities are Javier Becerra, the veteran congressman from California. Having a Latino on the ticket would be very important, historically speaking, Mm. and provides a very good starting point to criticize Donald Trump for um, accusations of racist policies in particular. And lastly, there's Cory Booker, the Democratic Mm. senator from New Jersey, who arguably, save Elizabeth Warren, has the highest name recognition among American voters of the possible (coughs) vice presidential Mm. candidates. He's very popular online. He has quite a big Mm. Twitter following. Mm. He went viral um, after Hurricane Sandy hit New Jersey, where he actually went out into um, into his state and would plow driveways for people. It's these sort of stunts that make him quite a noteworthy figure. And as I understand, um, he took part in the filibuster, the uh, 12 fil- filibuster, which was yesterday. That's right. Yes. He was supporting um, Connecticut Senator Chris, um, the last name escapes me, I'm afraid, but Cory Booker was Chris. a... Senator Chris. Senator Chris. <laughs> yeah, <I'm> Cory <laughs> Booker was a prominent voice in that filibuster. Uh, and before we go to that discussion on gun control and the Second Amendment and the Orlando, or the Orlando shooting, we do have a song to go to. Before then, so let's go to the song. Scott, take us away. Now I'm a union man, amazed at what I am. I say what I think that the company stinks. Yes, I'm a union man. When we meet in the local hall, I'll be voting with them all. With a hell of a shout, it's out. The rise of the factories fall.
Part of the Union classical <laughs> historical uh, right, political uh, song. Jack's Jack and I are now going to move on to discuss. No, Jack's uh, very offended. I think I've moved to the other side of the studio, and Jack's very offended because during the break, Scott called Jack a guest. I would just like to reiterate to everybody that this broadcast was once called Eleven Sharp, broadcasting on Wellington High School Radio, and that was an idea that. I originally put forward at the start of last year. <laughs> it's all right, Jack. We Just to make that clear, we all know you're the heart of the show. If you go back on our Facebook feed, all that 11 Sharp stuff is still there. Oh, the proof. Get, There's get, the proof. Should get rid of that, actually. Why? Now, moving on to, history. I think, what's on everyone's mind right now, and that's the Orlando shooting. And mm. so... Um, just it's a few days ago now um it's really sinking in there was an attack on a pulse nightclub which is a a gay club in orlando florida um and so it was 50 people killed yes. uh, including the gunman more than 50 people injured uh, the death toll is expected to rise i um, mean so obviously this was a primarily a hate crime and so mm. uh, we've reason to believe that this uh, gay club was targeted specifically by the shooter um, whether or not this was ties to terrorism or simply bigotry is yet to be uh, officially declared. Uh, the shooter has uh, pledged allegiance to ISIS, but obviously being uh, such a loosely organised group that doesn't have any official channels for a lot of things, uh, it's unclear whether or not this was actually an organised attack and it stands to be incredibly likely this was just simply uh, a random attack. And so... This obviously isn't the first time that something like this has happened in the United States. In fact, um, since uh, that Orlando shooting, there's already been several, dozens in fact, of mass shootings in the United States. Uh, and so, to put that simply, what this really is all about, it's about the fact that the United States Constitution, the document uh, that includes the, the Bill of Rights, which is a document which outlines basic rights for the citizens of the United States. And so one of those, which is known as the Second Amendment, is a uh, well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Uh, and so basically what the Second Amendment is is a piece of the Constitution that protects uh, under all circumstances the right of an American citizen to purchase and carry uh, firearms, And so the historical context of this, of course, was um, from the United States in the revolutionary period, whereby uh, the patriots, as they were called, uh, uprised yes, against the British crown. Organised into loose militias, which is, of course, the main intended outcome of this amendment. And so uh, they were uprising then against the tyrannical government, which is the king's government as um, the colonial ruler of what was then the United States. Um, and so 
what this amendment basically protects is the ability to form that militia again uh, if the government were to ever be tyrannical. Um, but obviously a lot of stuff has changed since then. Um, to put that even more simply, back when it was written, there was muskets, yeah. flintlocks, swords, cannons, that sort of colonial weaponry. And now, of course, we have rifles like the AR-15, the, uh, the rifle used to uh, perpetrate this attack. Uh, which can you can now buy over the counter in the United States uh, with very little background checking, very little anything. Uh, and so, what are your immediate reactions to this terror and this shooting? Well, I have to admit, I was I completely shocked. You often get a little bit used to seeing these sort of stories appear in the press coming out of the United States, but it does quite grab you when it's um, targeted against the LGBT community like this, and furthermore, when it's the uh, worst mass shooting in recent American history and the worst attack on American soil since September the 11th, 2001. I was also very interested in the way uh, both sides of the political responded to this attack, with the Democrats generally framing this as a gun control issue and as an attack on the LGBT as a hate crime issue, while the right of the aisle tended to ignore the gun angle to some extent, to definitely ignore the LGBT angle and simply see it as a terror attack and a national security issue. And so that's that's something that's come out uh, from the Republicans, particularly uh, Donald Trump, who's the presumptive Republican nominee, who previously, as we discussed, called for a total shutdown of all uh, Muslims entering the United yes. States. And so he's been tweeting and appearing, basically saying, I was right. And It, it is a bit uh, frustrating. If you follow how Republicans respond to each of these attacks. When it is uh, a white man or a black man who carries out the attacks, it's always a mental health issue. Uh, with uh, Muslim perpetrators, it's always a terrorist issue and it's an issue for the Muslim community. And we can yeah, we can see this in stuff but, like the hand, uh, Sandy Hook school shooting, mm, which I mm, believe is it was a, it was a mental, But it's never... A, guns are the consistent issue across mm. all of these problems. Yes. But for some reason, that's never the issue is Americans' availability to guns and that's something that's of course is now comes up and becomes popular really after all of these shootings uh there's always outcries um from uh, democrats and mm. some republicans, republicans uh for measures which don't necessarily get rid of the second amendment but stuff like a ban on assault weapons so weapons like the ar-15 which is a full or semi-automatic assault rifle um so that's I think I think we are starting to see a bit of a bit of a pivot now. We Even are. Bill O'Reilly, who's a very outspoken conservative commentator in, in the states for Fox News, uh, in his latest rant, <laughs> said we need gun control now. And it's not okay that Americans can purchase military warfare weapons. And it was actually um, just in the last twenty four hours that the son of uh, the man credited with inventing. Uh, the firing mechanism of the AR-15 news come out and said, look, my father and my family has made these weapons and they're not the sort of weapons that should be coming out. Yes. Uh, and even companies like Lockheed Martin and BAE have come out and st in support of gun control measures saying that we're the ones who make these weapons, but realistically they're an AR-15 which can fire hundreds of rounds mm. per minute mm. is not the sort of thing no, you, don't need, you need to no. hunt or for self or even yeah, Or even defending your family. Think, Unless you have an army of another country attacking your house. And I think that's that's the thing, is that a lot of I think the president, the president and, needs that gun. Well, and yes. that's it. That's because the president... The, yeah, the Obama should the have that under his bed in the White House. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, it's very interesting too, actually, the way that Donald Trump's response to this... Um, beyond the initial uh, quite Muslim-focused response actually ended up 
breaking with a lot of his Republican colleagues mm. on the gun control issue. He actually said he would meet with the NRA, the powerful gun lobby in the United States, to actually discuss the implementation of a generally Democrat measure often called No Fly, No Buy, which restricts the right to sell firearms to people who are on the FBI's no-fly list. We currently don't have that policy in the United States, and it's a rather interesting change to see the presumptive Republican nominee advocate for it. And so that's kind of uh, into the dragon, if you will. It's the NRA, and that's the National yes. Rifle Association. Um, so that's a massive body which is funded um, by a lot of conservatives, a lot of weapon manufacturers, which is a lobbying group which is very pro-Second Amendment, very pro-gun rights. Uh, they have massive lobbying power in Congress to uh, prevent bills such as the one Taryn talked about, but also bills such as uh, restrictions on the capacity of magazines, restrictions on... Uh, the sale of um, advanced weaponry and ad advanced weaponry attachments such as silences or scopes, uh, as well as just general restrictions uh, on gun control. So um, we've seen a lot of uh, action in Congress that's actually been moving, uh, particularly in the other direction. Um, Democrats have been filibustering uh, Congress under the hashtag hold the floor, um, and that's actually made uh, some progress, hasn't it? Yes, um, I feel like I have to put in this disclaimer here because I had heard about this on Politico. Technically, what they've done is not a filibuster. We haven't seen a filibuster in decades now, but it's essentially the same process wherein you hold the floor for a long period and of so time. And so what's the difference? Uh, the difference is it's only a filibuster if you're holding the floor to delay a vote from going ahead. This was hijacking an appropriations bill to talk about the gun rights issue and the gun control issue. And of course this pseudo filibustering as it were yeah. <laughs> is something that the united states is well famous for uh, we've had people on both sides of the aisle, like um Rand paul who spoke for almost 13 hours uh, to protest the renewment of the patriot act and so some ted cruz made a name for himself in his senate filibuster and they even have a place in popular culture with the classic political movie mr smith goes to washington concerning a filibuster and that <sighs> I'm, I'm also interested in what ted you guys cruz read green eggs and ham once during yeah, the filibuster. you did yeah, you did i'm just what you guys think of the people who say this isn't a hate crime towards lgbt well i mean i think the, the response to that is, obviously, we've got the evidence here that it was a planned and targeted attack. Mm. We know mm. for a fact that the the person who's been going out and committing this attacks, as well as his wife, had frequented that club. We've also had this corroborated by the family of that perpetrator, saying that this was someone who was known uh, to be particularly homophobic. And I think... Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think even this kind of this rhetoric is quite dangerous. Yeah. Dismissing this is really what it is. It was it's a hate crime. Mm, and these definitely. people were specifically targeted. I mean, there's not only LGTB people, but also Latinos. It was Latino night at that club, and so this is an incredibly racially fueled yeah, not, and well, uh, just prejudice, bigoted filled, uh, fueled hate crime. Let's really. be evidence based. What we know from the people who knew him is he often went on homophobic. Rants to yep. his wife and his work colleagues. In fact, I think he was turned away from a few jobs because of how hateful mm -hmm. he was towards ethnic minorities and sexual minorities. But also um, on other sides of that, we've had also evidence that he'd been using uh, gay dating apps uh, as well as uh, propositioning men at that club. Well, he, he was a married man at the same time. So I think... Married twice. I think possibly what we're looking at there is him gaining knowledge on his mm -hmm. targets and him sh it's very common for t uh, terrorists to show up at the scene where they want to commit the had, crime we've definitely had times. sightings of him and yeah. his wife 
scouting out that area. Mm. And so we've definitely got reason to believe that this was a planned, methodical attack against a specific group. And obviously uh, that, that sets it apart from random school shootings, church shootings, mm. where often uh, the targets were random, arbitrary uh, young people, particularly young men, get the idea in their head that they should shoot up something. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, through access to firearms, which they have in the United States, just decide that's something they actually can do and then do that. Whereas we can see that this was clearly a planned attack. Uh, the assailant obviously had access to a wide variety of weaponry on his person. He had uh, that assault rifle as well as lots of ammunition as well as a handgun. And we actually have even more evidence of the fact that he went specifically around profiling uh, targets. Um, just a quick uh, correction, also some facts about the weapon used. Um, the AR-15 is a semi-automatic rifle, so it's not an assault rifle, though it is classed as an assault weapon under the proposed Assault Weapons Act. But that act is quite controversially only limits weapons based on their similarities in design to military-grade weapons and not on their actual mechanical usage or performance. And so we've seen stuff like this previously in other countries uh, where weapons um, companies have designed around stuff like this by modifying yeah. stocks. And, and and so I'm going to go through some of the 